Father, thank you for the beautiful name of Jesus. The name above all names, the name against which nothing can stand. Your word tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would just help us bow right here and right now. Let us bow our hearts before you. Let us bow our fears before you. Let us bow our mind, our will, Lord. Let us just take all of it and lay it before your throne, trusting you to lead us, to guide us, to love us, and to care for us. In all things, Father, may you be glorified as we seek you in your word today, Lord. May your spirit speak. May our hearts be open. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. As we continue our journey through the very practical book of James... A journey that we talked about in chapter 1 is meant to help us grow in our faith towards greater spiritual maturity. We come to a topic that is sorely needed in our world today. The topic of our speech. The topic of how we talk to others and about others is something we should carefully consider. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 36, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. The word there for idle means useless, lazy, or barren. For every lazy word that we speak, for every useless word, for every barren word, we will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Knowing that God cares about how we speak, 
and knowing that we will give an account of it, I think makes today's text all the more valuable for us to consider, understand, and apply. So, to make you all feel a little bit better, I think James, James starts with me. In chapter 3, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, for you will receive the stricter judgment. You see, I don't, I don't have to open my Bible to read that verse. James warns us that not many of us should become teachers, specifically teachers of God's word. The word for teacher here is one who instructs or masters a subject. Why? Because those who do will receive a stricter judgment. The word for stricter means exceedingly great, large, or strong. Thanks, Greek language. Right? You read it the first time. Not many of you become teachers will receive a stricter judgment. Whoa, stricter, that's bad. No, exceedingly great judgment. Large judgment. Strong judgment. And apparently, there were a number of people within James' audience who thought they wanted to be spiritual teachers. And so James thought it best to warn them. Now, I think Warren Wiersbe explained this so well that I, I have a big quote, and I don't usually do this, but um, Warren Wiersbe said, perhaps they were impressed with the authority and prestige of the office, and they forgot about the tremendous responsibility and accountability. Those who teach the word face the stricter judgment. Teachers must use their tongue to share God's truth, and it is easy to commit sins of the tongue. Furthermore, teachers must practice what they teach. Otherwise, their teaching is hypocrisy. Think of the damage that can be done by a teacher who is unprepared or whose spiritual life is not up to par. So, I'm going to go home now. And uh, you guys are on your own. Have fun. When I, when I taught elementary school, uh, just by way of a, a quick story, I felt grossly unprepared to teach math. I'm a language guy. Liter I love literature. I love grammar. I love proper grammar. It makes me happy. When I see improper grammar, it, it like hurts, right? You, know, you get a tightness in your chest like, no. That's the wrong kind of there. Um, but math, right? Most people agree, right? There, there are some mentally ill people in the world who love math. If you're one of them, we love you anyway. You're welcome here, right? But most people have the same basic opinion of math, that math is evil, right? Do you guys ever see the, the joke out there? And then the devil said, let's put the alphabet in math. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. No, it doesn't. I mean, somebody might be able to prove it does, but in my mind, no, it doesn't. Those are letters. How do you square a letter? Anybody? Anybody? A times A? What? Huh? No. So I used to have a really big problem with math. And my wife will testify to this. She taught down the hall from me. And I was teaching, now I want you to keep in mind, I'm not teaching high school. I'm not teaching advanced algebra 
or trigonometry or calculus or statistics, fifth and sixth grade, right? And I would be doing my lesson plans and I'd be going through and I would get to something and I'd be like, and I'd take my math book, my teacher's, my teacher's edition, right? And I'd run down the hall to my wife and I'm like, can you explain this to me? Can you show me how to teach this because I don't get it? And she would. And then I would make out all these little notes and, and then I'd be able to go and as far as my kids knew, I knew what I was talking about. But in reality, it was my wife who was teaching me how to share with them. Now, they could ask me how to spell a word. I could tell them how to spell a word. We could talk about history or whatever we wanted to talk about. Most of those subjects I was okay with. But math, math is wrong on every level. You ever remember, I remember when I was in school, and some of us older folks in here will remember this. I remember when I was a kid, my, my teacher used to say, well, you know, you need to know this because you're not going to be able to carry a calculator with you everywhere you go. <laughs> ah! I win! I carry the entire internet with me everywhere I go. I don't need to know statistics or algebra. I'll Google it. Showed her, didn't I? But this is the whole point behind teaching. Think of the damage that I could have done to my students if I had taught them math incorrectly. That's why I went to my wife and asked for help. Now, if that would be bad, Imagine how much worse it would be if someone teaches this incorrectly. Because here, you know, we're not talking about doing well in a standardized test. Or graduating from high school or getting into college or winning some kind of academic award. Here, we're talking about the eternity of the souls of human beings. If you teach this wrong, I'm just going to say this. I wouldn't want to be that person on Judgment Day. It's why I take my job so seriously. It's why I'm so careful with God's word when I communicate and teach God's truth to people. The scripture is often, this scripture, James 3.1, is often at the forefront of my mind as I pray over and prepare messages. I'm keenly aware that as a person who is called to teach God's word, that there is a stricter judgment waiting for me. So if you all would listen and do what it says, that would be great. <laughs> well, I'm going to get there, but no, Lord, look, they, they did it. They listened. That has nothing to do with me. Not just for my teaching, not just for what I do here on Sunday morning, but for every other moment of my life. Now, I know I'm not perfect. Y'all know that too. I make mistakes. I even say things while I'm preaching and teaching that, boy, I wish I hadn't. There's times I tend to go back and listen to my messages before I post them online. You know, mostly, not because I, I love the sound of my voice. It actually really annoys me, but uh, so I feel bad for you. You keep showing up, so it's your fault. Um, <laughs> but I listen to my message, I want to make sure that there's nothing wrong with the recording, that nothing got messed up along the way before I post it on the internet. And sometimes I'll be sitting there listening and I'll go, really? I said that? Oh, Lord, Lord, do you want me to erase this and I'll re-record it before? And, and he doesn't usually let me do that. 
But there's a lot of repentance that goes along with this. There are a lot of times where I, I get done with a message and I'm like, you know, I, I made that joke or I stumbled over that thought. And, and so I repent often and throughout the week for various other things. I know that I don't always do or say things that are pleasing to God. And this scripture reminds me of what's coming. You guys pray for me. I need it. And I often tell others, because I'll have people from time to time come to me and say, you know, oh, man, I feel like God's calling me to preach. I go, good for you. Turn to James 3.1. Turn to James 3.1. Because I, it's not that I want to discourage them. I want them to be aware. I, I, I do not want them to think that the responsibility and the accountability that comes with being called to this ministry is anything other than what it is. And I said it a moment ago, I fear for some of the people that I've, I've heard preach the word. I do. Well, because they don't even preach the word. I fear for them. They somehow missed James 3.1. Or they're just ignoring it. And, and, and it's not that I'm, I'm going to sit here and start pointing at people or calling out names or anything like that. But there's going to be there's going to be people, A, that say, well, Lord, I spent my whole life preaching about you. And God will say, yeah, but you didn't preach my word. And I'm not saying you got to do it the way I do it. There's a lot of people who have different styles, and I'm okay with that. But whatever your style, you still got to be faithful to this. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in those churches who were misled. You know, one of, the, one of our most popular terms in the world today is misinformation. Sounds like a superhero. Hi, I'm misinformation. It's not. Thank you, like the one person who thought that was funny. So it's always, this is what always happens, right? Somebody laughs at my joke, then I notice that not everybody laughed, and then people laugh at me. Thank you. <laughs> at least I got a laugh, however it worked. But there's going to be people, oh, but I went to church every Sunday, and, and I was told to live my best life now. And I was told that I was supposed to be happy, and I was supposed to be wealthy, and I was told... That as long as I'm doing my best, that I'll be okay. You know, it might be popular. It might be comforting. But it's leading people to hell. And I don't want to do that. So when you come here, wait, just wait till the rest of the message is coming. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. I'm going to tell you he is the only way to get to heaven. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. We're all sinners. Separated from God by our sin. And apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Based on the finished work of the cross. I keep spilling coffee on myself. But based on the finished work of the cross. Because he died for our sins. He rose again proving that he is God. Proving that he had conquered sin and death. And that whoever believes in him, turning from their sin, will be saved. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's what I'm going to preach over and over 
and over me till my last breath. Because one day I'm going to stand before God for the entirety of my life in ministry. And because of what he's called me to do, I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. You know what? So sometimes it might seem like I don't care about your feelings. Sometimes it might seem like the things I say are harsh or maybe a little unloving, but it's because I love you. It's because I want you to know the truth so that you can walk with God, so that you can be everything that he has created you to be by the power of his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. That's why. And if you don't like me for it, or I make you upset, or you get angry with me, I can live with that. As long as I told you the truth. And that's why I've said, I'm really going to move past this point, I promise, but that's why I've said, I've told my elders, and I'll tell all of you, the day ever comes, I stop preaching this book, fire me. That's it. I'm done. But I don't think that day is going to come. Verse 2. <laughs> we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Also, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large. And are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So James continues by reminding us that we will all stumble. And if we manage not to stumble in word, then we'd be perfect. We'd be able to control every part of us. But this is not to give us an excuse for our sin. This is to remind us that we are not perfect, we're not complete, we're not totally mature in Christ. And he gives us two examples. Horses and ships. Two examples. Both horses and ships can be controlled by something relatively small. You can put a bit in a horse's mouth. And, you know, compared to the rest of the animal, I mean, a horse is as big, right? The bit is, I'm looking at Elizabeth because she'll know. Somebody else might too, right? It's like this big. Right? you got something this big that maybe weighs a few ounces compared to an animal that can be a thousand pounds and more. But you can control the animal with that. I remember once I had a friend of mine took me horseback riding. I've only been twice on the back of a horse in my entire life. And as we're riding, my friend is explaining to me, he goes, well, horses are, are, are fairly smart and they know if you know how to ride. I said, really? And I didn't believe it. And so we're trotting along and the horse would just randomly lean down and grab some grass to munch and almost flip me off the front because, and then I would try to herd the horse and he would, you know, just kind of shake his head. And my friend, he's laughing at me the whole time. He goes, man, that horse knows you have no idea what you're doing. I'm like, well, the horse is right. Can't it help me a little bit? Because I, I had no idea what I, I was just, and I, I managed not to fall off and then I was very sore. Because um, I, had, I had no idea how to ride a horse. But it doesn't take much, does it? Now think about a ship. Boats are huge. Some of, some of the boats that are out there in the world today are massive. You know, they weigh thousands of tons. 
They have a rudder, and I'm not going to say it's this big, but compared to the rest of the ship, the rudder is very, very small. Yet it makes it go left or right. It can exert control over the whole thing. Our tongue is no different. Yeah, it's small in comparison to the rest of the body, but it can cause a world of pain. Or it can encourage and build others up in a powerful way. The same way a spark can kindle a giant forest fire. Some of the biggest fires we've seen uh, in our country over the last few years, they come from something simple like a camper not putting out their campfire. And they burn tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of acres. So something this big, right, that fits inside a fire pit that's a foot or two across at most, just didn't put it out all the way so there were still some embers burning in there. Can cause tens of thousands of acres to be destroyed. Homes, businesses, lives. Something so small. Something so insignificant. This makes me think of how one word spoken can have such a huge consequence. In Proverbs 25.11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Saying the right thing at the right time can have a wonderfully positive consequence. I don't know if you've ever been there. I know I have. And I know there's people in this room, people I'm related to and people I'm not, who I've been in a tough spot. I was having a rough day or a rough week. And they said, but you know, and they just spoke life into me. A simple word. Proverbs 18.7 gives us the other side of it. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Because I've had the opposite happen too, and I'm sure you have. Maybe you're having a good day. Maybe things are going well. Maybe you're, you're just feeling like you have a great prayer time that morning, work went well that day, relationships are on the up and up, and then someone comes along and like a, just a, a little bee sting. We have these bees that live under our front steps. One stung me on the nose last summer. Oh, I had my vengeance. I poured like eight gallons of poison in the steps. But, sorry, I know vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But those bees in me, we, we had business. Right on the nose. Now, you would think, I'm a pretty big guy. Right? Little bee sting on the nose. I was like, ah, yeah. Just something so small. Something that would seem so insignificant. That's how our words can be. Just saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, can, or even saying the right thing at the wrong time, or saying the wrong thing at the right time, it brings destruction. It brings a snare. The word for speech and its equivalents are mentioned six over 600 times in the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you this, I've said this many times in the past. If God says it once, it's enough for me to pay attention. If he says it one time, it's enough for me to pay attention to it. 
Well, if he says it's 600, do you think it's important? That really makes me think it's important. Over 600 times, I think God cares about the way we speak. And so we pick up in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. There's your encouraging word for the day. Why don't, why don't verses like this ever get cross-stitched on pillows? Why didn't you ever go over to Grandma's house? Oh, look, Grandma made a new pillow. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Oh, Grandma. What a, what a sweet new pillow. Nobody cross-stitches that on a pillow. For every kind of beast and bird, verse 7, a reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Look, darling, I made you a blanket. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and better from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Our tongue, the way we speak, it's a fire. Like the spark that can kindle the forest. It's a world of unrighteousness all by itself. It takes a place in our body where it can defile the whole person. It, is set, it can set on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. There's your encouraging word for the day. Like I told you, I got into this this week. There's been some repentance going on in me lately. As I mentioned a moment ago, think of how much damage can be done when we say the wrong thing. Devastating consequences. Whether it's simply being insensitive to someone going through difficulty. Many of you know, I've shared it on multiple occasions, I deal with depression and anxiety. There have been some well-meaning people in my life who have looked at me and said, you know, if you would just feel better, you'd be okay. Well, if I could feel better, I would. That's not how depression works. Or just, oh, just being insensitive to someone going through difficulty. You can, you can come up with your own scenario. Being prideful, saying something hurtful to someone. How about saying something hurtful when we've been hurt? You know hurt people like to hurt people, right? That's how they do it. So someone says something hurtful to you. Maybe they did it intentionally. Maybe they didn't. And you get the perfect zinger. Or if you're like me, you get the perfect zinger at 2 in the morning and you can't sleep. And then it's too late. It's been hours. You're like, missed that opportunity. You really, ah, get him back. Actually, I think that's just that's God keeping you quiet. <laughs> Telling a lie to get out of something. How about that? Anybody in here done that? Thank you. I got like three honest people in my church. Good job, everybody. The rest of you are like, no, I've never done that. I don't know what he's talking about. 
My hand went up. I've done it. One of my favorite things drives my wife nuts. And I was sharing this with somebody recently. Somebody in here. Might have been Aaron. I don't remember. Is that uh, I tend to get out of tickets. Drives her batty. Now, it's been a long time since I've been pulled over. But I tend to get out of tickets. Not because I lie, but because I'm very honest with the police. Would I get pulled over. Excuse me, sir. You know how fast you were going? Yeah, my cruise was set at 85, so I'm guessing somewhere around there. Well, I, yeah, I clocked you. Yeah, okay. You know what the speed limit is? Yeah, last time I saw it said, you know, 65. And the cop will be like, all right, slow down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's happened multiple times. Uh, so I'm just honest. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been a couple times where I've gotten a ticket. And I actually have slowed down quite a bit over the years. But um, I was just honest. But telling a lie, that one thing, one word spoken, can be devastating. And I want you to take note of something. Set on fire by hell. Such things are set on fire by hell. Nothing pleases the devil more, who is, according to John 8, 44, the father of lies, than for us to say something that furthers his agenda instead of God's. I want you to consider that. The devil loves it when we say something that furthers his agenda instead of furthering God's. And so we have the untamed tongue. We as human beings have managed to tame all kinds of animals. Right? You can ride a horse. I love the videos of people who have pet lions. Right? They're just hugging on the lion or they're hugging on the bear. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I want a pet bear. I want to sit and have him sit in my living room and do that noise. Yeah, say something mean now. Sick of you, I mean. Right? But people have tamed all kinds of, they train whales. Right? Go to SeaWorld. They've trained whales to let people ride on whales. But you know what we can't tame? We can't tame our tongue, can we? We have failed there. Our speech toward others and about others, and this failure means our tongues can be an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Think about gossip. Oh, gossip is deadly. Um, I refuse to spread gossip. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, well, I just want to share something with you. We can pray over it. No. I mean, if it's a legitimate prayer request, but if you're trying to pretend, and, and I'm going to say this. Nobody here does that. None, none of you have ever done that, that I, not to me, where you've come to me and said, you know, I don't, I don't really want to talk about so-and-so, but we need to be praying for their, nobody here has done that, but I have had it happen before. And I go, no, if we need to pray for them, let's go. You and I, we'll go for, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. They don't know that I know. Then why are you telling me? I actually kind of, it's kind of funny when I hear gossip about myself. It hasn't happened around here very much, unless maybe you've heard it. But I, I haven't heard a lot of gossip around, about myself around here. But I've heard gossip about me other places where someone has come to me. Did you know? So-and-so told me you did this. Wow. I was out of the country when that happened. 
I don't know how I managed it. That actually happened. We were, we were in Paris, and we got back, and someone said, you know, last week, someone told me you did this, that, and the other thing. I was like, wow, I was 7,000 miles from here, and my phone was off. How could I have said it? And even more, how could they have heard it? Or insults, or just hateful words towards others, the consequences that come from it. And then he gets to the heart of the matter. Blessing and cursing. With the same mouth, we sing praises to God. Right? We'll sing Hillsong Worships, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. That's awesome, isn't it? And then we leave. And we say, let's go, Brandon. I'm saying it not because I'm trying to put you down, but because God smacked me hard over that this week. Smacked me hard. Or we leave and we spew hate. What does he say? This ought not be. Now, ought there is a fun little word because it means must, needs, or should. My brethren, this must not be. My brethren, this needs not be. My brethren, this should. This type of dichotomy is not what God intended. And he gives us examples. A spring of water doesn't bring forth fresh and bitter water at the same time. A fig tree doesn't produce olives. A grapevine doesn't produce figs. Our mouths should not produce fresh water, and salt water. Our mouths should not praise God at one moment and curse a human being, any human being, another. And this is a huge problem for humanity. Not just us. I mean, we are part of humanity. And it always has been. On Sunday morning, we sing songs of worship and offer praise to our God. Perhaps we do this every day of the week. We pray. We read the Bible. We invite people to church. We say, praise God when we hear good things. We offer to pray for each other when we hear of difficulty. Then with the same mouth, we curse political leaders we disagree with. Now, I'm not saying we can't disagree with them. I'm not saying we can't vote according to our conscience and biblical guidelines. I'm not saying we can't get involved in those things, but not curse. Not curse. We gossip about friends and neighbors behind their back. We speak with hate and anger and rage, and we spew vitriol towards those we dislike or who have harmed us or spoken evil against us. And this is not the way God wants us to be. 
Yet many of us, myself included, can be this way. As followers of Christ, we are called to speak life. Proverbs 30, verse 32 says, If you have been a fool by being proud or plotting evil, cover your mouth in shame. Jesus told us in John 6, 63, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And as followers of Christ, we are to grow into being like him. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that. And then especially, this includes the way we speak. Yes, there are times in speaking truth that it will sound harsh. Yes, Jesus rebuked people for their sin. He rebuked people for their hypocrisy. And there are times when we'll be called to do the same thing, but why do we do it? Do I look at you and tell you that this is sinful because I want to tear you down? Or because I love you and I want you to be right with God and I want to build you up in your relationship with Christ. Why? But even when we speak the truth, even when that truth sounds harsh, we are still to speak in love. Again, Ephesians 4.15. In all things as followers of Christ, we are to be like him under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So how do we speak life? Now, if you're looking at your notes... I have 12 more points. We're going to go through these quickly, and you can take them home and do with them what you will. This comes from a man by the name of James Frazier, who was a Scottish pastor. So I'm going to do the whole thing in a Scottish accent to try to lighten the mood after I just beat you all over the head. I'm not going to do that. This is from 1798, 224 years ago. James Frazier wrote this. And all the scriptures are from the book of Proverbs. First rule, speak nothing sinful. That's pretty easy, right? You'd hope. That includes lying, cursing, scolding, backbiting, gossiping, slandering, or anything that dishonors God or your neighbor. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Speak no idle words. Will what I speak profit others, or is it vain and empty? Proverbs 25, 11, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples and silver settings. We already read that. Third rule, speak not much. I'm not very good at this one. Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28, the one who has knowledge restrains his words. And the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Fourth rule, speak soberly, both as to matter and manner. In other words, don't be loud and obnoxious, just for loud and obnoxious sake. Proverbs 27, 14, if one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. That could be my life verse. Loud in the morning till I've had coffee. Fifth rule, speak not rashly or hastily. I love this. We love to react to things. It's what we do as human beings. And I think I was talking about this a couple weeks ago. We, we like to listen so that we can respond instead of listening to hear. Right? So I'll listen just long enough for you to give me a point that I can get you with, that I know I can beat you at with that, with whatever my argument is, 
And then I shut down. I don't listen to another thing you say. And as soon as your lips start moving, I come back. That's listening to respond. Well, what if we just shut everything down and listen to actually hear the other person first? What if somebody hurts us or somebody does something and we need to have a conversation about it and instead of flying off the proverbial handle, we take time, we pray about it. We seek God in his word over it. We, we, we talk to people we trust to help us figure out whether that conversation even needs to happen. Don't speak rashly or hastily. Twenty-nine Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Number six, speak weightily and seriously. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. You ever had someone do that to you? I had someone do that to me once. Well, okay, more than once. But they made like a really just mean comment about me. I don't remember what it was. Oh, I was just kidding. I'm not, you big, you know, I didn't do that. Rule number seven, speak in faith. Do you know and believe what you're saying? Oh, speak in faith. 12.22 of Proverbs, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Do we speak in faith? That's important. Do we speak out the things we believe? I'll tell you, I, I, I do, I struggle with this sometimes. God will show me something in his word, or God will speak a promise over me or over my family. I hesitate to share it. I'm afraid maybe I heard it wrong, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm not trusting that he'll do what he said. But speak in faith. Number eight, speak prayerfully. Have you prayed about what you'll say? Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Number nine, speak timely and purposefully. The person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word, how good that is. That goes back to not responding or reacting, but taking our time to seek the Lord and respond in a way that will honor him. Number 10, speak in fear. Keep a bridle in your mouth. Proverbs 8, 13, when he says speak in fear, we speak in fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. Remember, we will all give an account of everything we say before God. I'm not particularly excited about that. I have said some things, and I've repented over them, but it's still coming. Fear the Lord. Number 11, don't let your neighbor's faults be the subject of your talk even if it's true. I like that one. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. It says in Proverbs 16, 24, you know something about somebody? You got, got a juicy bit of gossip to share? What, what do the kids say these days? Man, I'm getting old. You want to spill the tea, right? Is that right? <laughs> My daughter's giving me a dirty look. Right? Isn't that, I'm right, right? When you spread gossip, you're spilling the tea. I don't know what it means. It's dumb. Just call it gossip. That's what it is. But I'm old. I'm proud of it now. I used to be as I, as I started to get older and, you know, I, I hit 30 and then I hit 40. And I know some of you are laughing at me. I'm not as old as everybody in here, but I feel old. And I started to get older. I'm like, oh, and I got to, I was a youth pastor in my early 30s. So I tried to keep up with some of that stuff. I have just given up. Now I just ask my kids, 
I heard somebody say that, you know, whatever. What does that mean? <laughs> I just, I, I'm done pretending. But you know something good, right? Or you got a neighbor that's just treats you horribly or does horrible things. Are we supposed to tell everyone about it? Number the last one, number 12, speak not of yourself or your work. I like that one. You ever meet a person that just has to tell you how great they are? Well, let me tell you about how, you know, whatever. It's very irksome, isn't it? And Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. So take those home. Enjoy them. As we close, I imagine we could add a few other rules to that list. Things like speaking in love or speaking life and encouragement or making sure that we, what we speak furthers God's agenda in his kingdom, not our own or our enemies. In the end, I am sure there is not a person hearing this, including the person speaking it, who does not need to repent of their words. I am grateful that we can confess our sins and that God will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, according to 1 John 1, 9. But the fruit of repentance, according to Matthew 3, 8, is change. And I'm just going to be honest, this is where the Lord, oh, he just whacked me upside the head with a baseball bat this week, per, metaphorically. It's a metaphor. Because we love to make a mental note. Yes, the Bible says that my tongue should speak blessings to God and not curse people. Yes, the Bible tells me I should be careful about what I speak. I agree. But if our hearts aren't changed, if the change of heart by the power of God's spirit and the power of God's truth doesn't change the way we behave, then agreeing with it means nothing. This is where the Lord hit me. He hit me hard. For a long time, I can tell you, I've agreed with what this says. And for a long time, I've struggled to obey. And this week, oh, a lot of repentance, a lot of repentance, and a lot of asking the Lord to help me honor him in everything I say. So what's the greatest and most significant change any of us can have? Well, that's to know Jesus Christ. I talked about this, well, it was a while ago, maybe you forgot by now, but we do this by placing our trust in the death and resurrection of Christ for salvation. In so doing, we turn from our spin, our spin, our sin, including sins of speech, and we are saved and regenerated by the power of his spirit. That's, that's always got to be first. If there's anybody listening here or online, you don't know Christ as Savior, well, you've got to start there. That's most important. Number two, where do we need to repent? Maybe it's in your conversations with or about people. Maybe it's for a harsh word spoken to a loved one. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. There have been a lot of areas I've repented this week. I encourage you to do the same. 1 John 1, 9, I just read it. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you've got a, a, a specific thing where you've just been, 
hating on somebody or treating somebody poorly or talking about somebody behind their back or talking to them in a way that is furthering the enemy's agenda instead of God's. Bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I've been doing this. I'm sorry. He'll forgive you. That I know. Where does a change in our speech then need to take place? Because this, this is my guess. Is that you've got some place you need to repent of. Which then means you've got some place you need to change. Perhaps we need to commit to not speaking evil of political figures. I'm going to put my hand up on that one. Ask me. I disagree with a lot that's going on in our world today. I'm not going to lie about it. I think some of the things that are happening, uh, politically speaking, are crazy. They're bad for our country. They're bad for our citizens. They're bad for our. They're bad for everything. I believe that. But does that mean I should go around bad mouthing the people doing it? You know what God calls me to do? He calls me to pray for them. So I've started praying for their salvation started praying that God would get a hold of their heart and draw them to himself. That's what I started praying. Maybe we need to learn to hold our tongue with a crabby co-worker. Which is really, I, I don't have any co-workers. <laughs> I'm the only one who works here, so it's pretty easy for me. Um, at least that one. Uh, maybe we need to intentionally speak life into the lives of others. Whatever it is, However the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I encourage you to listen to him and put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gracious word. Lord, I pray for myself in front of all my brothers and sisters here, once again asking you for forgiveness for the many times that I have spoken things that dishonored you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody listening who wants to add their agreement to that repentance, that they would. I pray, Father, that you would help me. Help each of us to honor you. Your word tells us to let our light so shine before the world around us that they would see our good works and glorify you. That includes the things we say. So I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us as a church to speak life to speak life to one another, to speak life into our community. Bring you glory. In Jesus' name.